Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I want to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. This is all about trust now and personal responsibility and just being careful and not being selfish. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The idea of an irreversible move was taken off the table. You can't do that when you have no idea where the virus is going to go. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Now, there's been disappointment, but scarcely surprise, that Joe Biden did not yield on his determination to keep the deadline of August the 31st for pulling out U.S. troops from Afghanistan. The U.S. president says the military is on course to complete the evacuation of thousands of people in the Taliban-controlled nation by August the 31st, but the president wants backup options in place. Well, Boris Johnson said the UK will continue to evacuate people till, until the last moment and urged the Taliban to allow Afghans to leave beyond the deadline. We remain committed to those values and we remain committed to Afghanistan. But the number one condition that we're insisting upon is safe passage beyond the 31st, so beyond this initial phase, for those who want to leave Afghanistan. And that was Boris Johnson speaking earlier. Well, joining us now is Mary Kelly Foy, who's Labour MP for the city of Durham. Mary, welcome to the programme again. Thanks so much for being with us. Now, the G7 ended without the US being willing to stay longer than August the 31st. Do you think there was anything further the UK could have done? Could they have stayed on longer? Could they have found a way around this? Well, you know, I think Boris Johnson's main job at that G7 was to push President Biden um, to extend the deadline, and he failed. Um, And in fact, you know, the UK has been a president of the G7 since um, January. And uh, yesterday was the first time that um, the Prime Minister convened a meeting to, to even discuss Afghanistan, when they've known for 18 months or more that this situation could happen. So what needs to what needs to happen now is that we need to have a plan with the United Nations for refugees and um, the resettlement scheme. And to really, we've only got hours left to get hundreds and thousands of people out of Af- Afghanistan. So we do need to work through um, the United Nations to find a shared approach um, in getting as many people out and find clear routes for people to get out. Um, because, you know, the clock is ticking and it's, it's an absolute, it, it's an embarrassment and a total government failure. And we cannot, we, we really cannot give up on the people of Afghanistan and undo some of the gains that were made over the 20, over those 20 years. President Biden has been fairly clear over the, in fact, he's been very clear over recent weeks that he wanted to be out by the end of August. Do you, you really think that pressure from the UK could have could have changed his mind? Well, we are, you, you know, it's, it's the United Kingdom. We're part of the G7, of course, pressure. It's, it's no good leaving it until the last minute or reacting to what um, President Biden had said. We've had months, and, and as I've just said, um, our Prime Minister has never really had a discussion or taken any action or shown anything proactive on Afghanistan at any of that time. 
so it's a little bit um a little bit too little too late um and unfortunately there are going to be so many people who will suffer because of this and i feel you know first of all this well this is a humanitarian crisis and my thoughts are with everyone who 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 fears this taliban and their the, the rise to power particularly women and girls and human rights activists and um, LGBTQ people, you know, and, and journalists, all of those people are in fear of their life. Let's talk about what's happening where you where you are, Mary, if if we could, because uh, I know you have a number of Afghans who live in Durham. Uh, people, many of them with relatives, still trapped in Afghanistan. Just just tell us what's being said, what they're saying to you, what action you're trying to take on their behalf. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, since last week, my office has been contacted by really several extremely concerned constituents, and as you say, they have many families. Um, family members in Afghanistan. Um, and, well, we, as, a, as an office, we've been working tirelessly, really, to secure some sort of evacuation and refuge for these families. But ever, however, the, the, the processes that we're, we're facing with have been absolutely chaotic, and we've had very contradictory information coming from the Home Office. Um, and unfortunately for us, we've had, not, we've had very little success um, apart from exploring the several different de- different channel, channel, um, channels, but some some MPs have had a little bit more um, success, and but these seem to be limited to UK nationals and those who've had um, existing applications under the, the resettlement scheme. But it's you know it's really clear from the conversations that we've had that um, the the plan with Britain and our home office isn't isn't established yet. Um, but we need to, we really need some clear information from the government regarding the safe route um, and what will happen and what, what, how we're going to support refugees even after the 31st of August. Of, of August. Um, and, you know, as I say, this, there's hours left, really. Um, and these families are, as you can imagine, um, the they're very fearful. They're fearful for their lives, and, and I think one of the one of the um, one of the the real heartbreaking things as well is the fact that um, you know now we heard yesterday that the Taliban have told working women to stay at home now um, for their own safety. You know, women who, who over the last twenty years have had their hopes and dreams of become independent, they're working people now being told to. Um, to stay at home, not go out of mm. work. That's just the beginning of is, of what's going to happen here for these people. Is is Durham ready to accept more refugees? Yes, I've spoken to Durham County Council, and we are um, the, the council are ready to, to welcome refugees. And I think we'll show um, you know that community spirit and togetherness that the northeast of England is famed for. We we took in an awful lot of the Syrian refugees um, when that crisis happened. And of course, we'll be open to to the Afghan people. You know, you, you really kind of intervene in a country without um, then taking some responsibility when it all goes horribly lo- horribly wrong, like it has done. Yeah, and Mary, I mean, on that, of course, uh, Durham has a very strong and rich military history, of course. A lot of people from Durham served in Afghanistan, historically and most recently. A lot of families lost people, had people return with horrible injuries. What have they been saying to you about about what it's like seeing this happen? Well, 
Oh, you know, I, I, I think it's um, the, nobody. I don't think anybody is of the of the mindset that it's been a you know it's a total success. So we wouldn't be in this situation now. But for those troops who went across and did do an awful lot of good and helped people and tried to make um, things secure for the families there, and yes, Mary's lost their lives or been horrifically injured. They just kind of believe that this has been so uh, we've been so unprepared and that we're coming out without this resettlement scheme and without the support for the um the refugees and coming out and it's going to undo a lot of the the good work that was done over those years and so people are very angry and frustrated and want the uk to continue to push to work with the g7 with the united nations on on just providing safer routes for people to 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 escape, um, because it's the last thing we want is for the the last twenty years to go down as an absolute total failure uh, and result in this humanitarian crisis. Um, our government really should 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 be showing some um, accountability and responsibility for what's happened. Well, let's uh, let's look ahead to a big domestic issue. It's uh, gosh, remarkably only a few days until uh, kids go back to school. Uh, how convinced are you that they will be that they will be safe when when schools return? Well, I was contacted by um, a head teacher, a local head teacher, actually about that, and he'd been contacted by lots of concerned, concerned parents about the safety at school. So one of the things I'd um, written to. Um, Written to the government on that the, was about the CO providing CO two monitors in schools, and um, because we know that um, it reduces the risk of uh, the airborne transmission of the of the virus, and you know there are an awful lot of schools that are already poorly ventilated, and um, these CO two monitors will be very useful, and they'll measure the levels of ventilation and prevent the need for windows and doors to be open unnecessarily, especially in our very cold winters. Um, so I'm pleased that the, the government have announced um, that they will be um, they'll be putting in 25 million for CO2 monitors, um, but they will be targeted to the um, special needs schools and um, where, as you can imagine, there'll be more vulnerable, yeah. vulnerable pupils there. Um, but you know, it was there was a statement out on Friday that made it quite clear, it's quite clear that this batch of monitors hasn't even been fully procured yet, and we've got less than two weeks before um, many of our schools return. Yeah. So once again, this has been a case of not being proactive, and it's all obviously just been a reactive response from the government. And uh, once again, this is going to be too late for maybe some yeah. for, for some people. Mary, let me ask you very briefly, if you would, because we're running out of time. I mean, a very interesting move, a moment for the Labour movement, which is it looks like the Unite Union, one of the biggest unions in the country, is going to have a woman general secretary for the first time, Sharon Graham. Um, what's your response? Well, I think that's, um, you know, fantastic news, really. Um, I know Sharon's, um, Sharon has very much been an activist in workplaces um, and wants you know, to become more of an industrial union again and for a, a woman to become um the general secretary of a a, a, a union my union um as unite is, is wonderful news and i really hope that she will 
work alongside the Labour Party and keep the links to the Labour Party um, because, you know, that's, it's, it's unions like Unite yeah. um, and those that went before mm-hmm. it that, that, that made up the, the Labour Party in the, in the, in the very beginning. Very. So, uh, you know, excellent news. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And a British study has found that immunocompromised patients had a weaker immune response after two doses of COVID vaccine than the general population, supporting the case for booster jabs for vulnerable people. About 40% of 600 people who had conditions like cancer or arthritis and whose treatments can interfere with immunity had insufficient responses to the standard vaccine regimens, according to reports in the Lancet Medical journal. Well, the construction, manufacturing and food preparation industries are pushing wages higher due to a shortage of workers to fill available jobs. Building companies increased pay by 6.7% between February and July of this year to draw more workers into the industry. This is according to data from Jobs Site Indeed. The website also says it's seeing wage growth of just 0.8% across all sectors. The Bank of England is keeping a close eye on whether salary increases will lead to more persistent increases in price across the rest of the economy. And if you want to get a milkshake at the moment in McDonald's, you're probably out of luck. Shops and fast food restaurants struggling with shortages as a result of high levels of job vacancies, particularly for lorry drivers. McDonald's has removed milkshakes from its menu at outlets in England, Scotland and Wales. The sandwich chain Subway and the cooperative supermarket are amongst those also experiencing supply shortages. Well, joining us now is Bloomberg opinion columnist Therese Raphael, who's been writing uh, all about the G7 meeting uh, and the fallout from the August 31st uh, deadline for uh, evacuating from Afghanistan. Uh, Therese, thanks uh, so much for joining us again. Um, Do you think that uh, the situation we've seen, this G7 meeting, which doesn't seem to have uh, uh, ended on a very happy note, has shown there is some sort of uh, breakdown in relations between the US uh, and its allies? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair to say. I mean, these G7 meetings, we're we're very used to uh, them, you know, delivering some very interesting photo ops, and at least in, you know, we can read the body language as uh, the world leaders interact. But, you know, the communiques tend to be quite anodyne. They're they're very much um, uh, arranged in advance, and, and, and the wording is so carefully chosen. I think this one differed on a number of levels. Um, you know, the U.K. knew, Boris Johnson knew that Biden was set on this August 31st 
deadline. Um, and he chose uh, to go public with uh, a very you know, clear desire for Biden to extend that deadline. So, you know, it, it, normally you would expect Boris Johnson either to make that kind of request um, through private channels or to make a public request only if he knew it would be granted. So the fact that he went out ahead of the G7, called this meeting, and then made a request that he knew uh, or that he knew had, a, had a, a pretty strong chance of being turned down, I think says a lot about the state of the Anglo-American relationship that, you know, just in May at the Cornwall summit, we were told was indispensable. Uh, in the event, of course, Biden turned down uh not just British, but also French and German requests for an extension said that the U.S. would was on track to meet its August 31st deadline. And that leaves Britain in, you know, something of a, of a dilemma because there are, you know, thousands of, uh, uh, of uh, Afghans and even British nationals that they're still trying to get out. It's not clear many of them can even get to the airport. And there will be now uh, a pretty... A uh, quick timetable for withdrawing uh, British forces and equipment that's probably going to start at the end of this week. So there's not much time left for evacuating the remaining nationals. And um, that's put Boris Johnson in an awkward position. And the fact that he went out ahead of the G7, made his request clear, got rebuffed, well, you know, that just says everything about the state of British-American relations right now. But what does it say about what's going on inside the State Department, inside the White House, Therese? Because, after all, this was the, the president who said, more or less, America is back. The feeling had been that after the Trump years, when Trump walked out refusing to sign G7 communiques, all these kind of things, this was supposed to be a return to normality, a, a return to normal diplomacy. So why did it happen in this way? Well, I think, you know, we're probably seeing the result of a couple of things. I mean, one is that there it turns out to be some distance between the rhetoric of the Biden administration um, and its real priorities, which, you know, still are very closely tied to domestic politics, to midterm elections. Um, and, you know, there was a a political decision clearly made at the very top of the Biden administration with the president himself that he was not well served by uh, by keeping that very limited um, and very low risk presence. But there are other things that have also happened. Um, I think there is an increased perception that um, that the that there's a terrorist threat uh, if the U.S. were to continue beyond what it agreed, um, and uh, a, a sense that once a decision had been made, Biden had to double down on it, or else he would be accused of, uh, you know, of, of being wishy-washy and and uh, and going back on his word. So, you know, we're probably seeing the confluence of a number of both political and, and strategic factors here. Uh, but the reality is that without the U.S. commitment on the ground, without the you know, huge amount of logistics and air support and other um, you know, personnel on the ground, there's very little that the rest of the G7 can do to maintain a presence and uh, evacuate more Afghans and, and uh, indeed more Western nationals right now. Talk us through the the U.S. domestic politics on this, because obviously it was the Trump administration which took us most of the way to this position. They wanted us out of Afghanistan, uh, and a number of Democrats uh, now seem to be less keen on the way the way we've we've done it. Would that be would that be a fair assessment? 
Yeah, I mean, there has been some pretty robust criticism from both Democrat and Republican sides on this. You'd expect the Republicans who, you know, also uh, supported the withdrawal to, to criticize the way Biden has done it. But, you know, the reality is Biden has already delayed, he'd already delayed um, the withdrawal. He'd already changed the dates. Um, he, you know, first said September 11th, and he went back and said, no, we'll be out um, uh, you know, uh, much earlier than that. So, you know, there is a sense that the timetable was very politically motivated. This desire to declare the, the forever war, as Biden put it during the campaign, over um, has 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 gotten ahead of the strategy. Um, and it's put Biden in an awkward position. And if you listen to also the, you know, Anthony Blinken, the, the Secretary of State, was very quiet in the days afterwards. Um, and, you know, I, I think probably not very happy about how things have gone. He's later defended the withdrawal, um, and he's chosen to highlight um uh, you know, risk to American troops of staying uh, and and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think this is just, it, it, there's no getting around the fact that it has eroded uh, the international credibility of the Biden administration. Their defense is that it allows them to focus on China, which is the main foreign policy, um, really, obsession of, of this administration, and in part to deal with the pandemic. But the reality is that people are talking about little other than Afghanistan. So, um, you know, and, and the other reality is that maybe it gives China a way in, in the sense that they are also uh, talking to the Taliban uh, and perhaps will cut deals that will undermine what little leverage the West has left, left there. So, you know, whatever the domestic politic, political calculations were from the Biden administration, I think it's safe to say they've backfired on a number of grounds, whether longer term that will end up hurting Biden's uh, re-election chances or the Democrats in the midterm elections. We'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. Sometimes these things you know, do die down. But, but you know, right now it's, it's hard to imagine how this isn't a, a, you know, massive debacle for that administration. And what about the way that, that, that Washington is now seen internationally? I mean, is there bleed through on other issues? You mentioned China. Or is it still true that it, however badly it behaves in some people's eyes, it is still the indispensable nation? We won't see Europe, Canada, the UK making big moves on big geopolitical issues because they simply don't have the power on the ground, the ability to project that power, and America still does. Yeah, I mean, I think, Roger, both those things are true. It has both diminished the, the weight and the credibility and the, and the trust placed in Washington and the U.S. remains indispensable as a as an economic power, as a military power, you know, as a, as, a, as a cultural force in a lot of ways. And that means that those, you know, alliances remain um, hugely important. Now, whether this will, um, as we started to hear from the, the, the EU in recent days, prompt um, other Western nations to do more to build coalitions of the willing without the U.S. I mean, that, you know, we, we've heard talk of that in the past, and there are limited um, interventions that, that proceed without the U.S., but they, they never seem to go very far, right? And, you know, even though there's some unity within Europe and the U.K. Uh, in opposition to the Biden withdrawal, there's very little unity on the question of how many refugees to take, how to deal with the Taliban going forward, uh, you know, when and how to oppose, impose sanctions, that that becomes um, the preferred course of action. So, you know, as you say, the U.S. remains in, indispensable, and um, it's sort of, you, we, you know, I, I think the rest of the Western world is in this position, sort of can't live with them, can't live without them.
Mm, just briefly, is there more that the West uh, can do, perhaps away from the military side um, in Afghanistan, with or without American cooperation? Yeah, I think that's the key question for policymakers right now. And we've heard uh, Dominic Robb and Boris Johnson suggest that the Taliban are very responsive to economic incentives, uh, that they want uh, a degree of international legitimacy, so that gives the West leverage there. Um, I think it's probably easy yeah. to overplay the Taliban's um, you know, sensitivities there. And we'll have to see whether, I mean, we've really removed the, the biggest leverage we had in Afghanistan, which was a military presence. Yeah. Everything else is going to be second to that. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.